It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. And basketball time to kill. Love picks up Curry. Kyrie Irving from downtown. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. It's over. It's over. The 52 is over. The Cavaliers have won the NBA championship. Cleveland, this is for you. Sexton works on Irving. Hey. The shoot around. Welcome back to the show. We have done a few player profiles this summer. For example, our Darius Garland and Jared Allen episodes. And if you haven't heard those yet, we encourage you to check them out in the feed. This week, we wanted to do a split-focused profile on Coach J.B. Bickerstaff and former GM and now President of Basketball Operations, Kobe Altman. Yes, we recognize that being a head coach and a front office executive are difficult jobs. So we thought it would be intriguing to give our thoughts on how the team has progressed under J.B.'s coaching tenure and how Altman has built his vision for success and how they may continue to evolve together. We are doing this, as always, through the lens of two fans. Altman's leadership has allowed this young team to blossom and grow by making a lot of smart moves and some questionable ones, too. I mean, drafting Evan Mobley, possibly his smartest, but also signing or trading for Andre Drummond, maybe not? Am I being a little harsh on that? I'm surprised you brought up Drummond. Yeah, that's not the first questionable thing I maybe would have pointed to. Yeah, I think his biggest questionable move for me is still whether or not Sexland is going to work and bringing in two point guards to play in the backcourt of a professional NBA team, whether or not that was ever a good idea. And who knows if we're even going to find out now, but um, it seems like we'll get one more shot at it. But for me, that would be kind of the one and only big question mark. I think Drummond was an interesting experiment that didn't necessarily go bad. I think JaVale McGee, they had more plans for and kind of had to get rid of him uh, just as a casualty of, of things. And then probably Kevin Porter Jr. That was a big letdown and a huge leap that they took to take a guy that had all those issues. And um, I think they learned a lesson from that because they haven't tried anything like that since. But uh, uh, that's probably it. I've probably exhausted everything that's possibly a, a negative. But yeah, Drummond, Drummond certainly didn't work out. But I think at the, at the end of the day, the veteran leadership that he brought and what the team learned from his presence there in his pit stop here in Cleveland, I think that there was some value to that. Yeah, I think that Altman has taken some shots at trying to bring in certain talent. Some of them have worked and some of them haven't. I think right now he's on the upswing. He has had more talent hit than miss. And we'll get into that more. So, so far, he's been on the better side of, you know, 50%, 60%, which in in executive speak, which is probably pretty good. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he's been far more hit than miss on his selections. Biggest question mark, should they have ever made Colin Sexton a two guard? Well, let's move on to the questions. Let's start off with uh, J.B. Bickerstaff. 
The Cavs surprised a lot of people last season. Do you think this is a make or break year for JB? I don't think this is a make or break year for JB. I think that's a very loaded question. I do think that this is a year where there's going to be a target on the Cavs back, but especially for JB. The organization, the team, the players, everybody in Cleveland is expecting that the Cavs are going to be a playoff caliber team because that's what they talked about at the end of last season. Everybody brought up that if it wasn't for the injuries, they would have made it further into the postseason. They wouldn't have had to be in the play-in tournament. And I think JB knows this and understands this. He's clearly a smart guy. He's been coaching for decades. And his dad was a coach as well and an executive in the NBA. So he knows how to coach a team. But he's dealing with probably the most expectations ever as a head coach for a really young core team. And you and I have seen this before. A lot of young teams get over a hump and maybe they'll regress a little bit. Maybe they won't look as crisp as they did this past season. And more people will start blaming JB wrongfully in my mind. You know, unless JB is going out there and saying, all right, we're putting five centers out on the floor every night or we're going to go super small, that's the new thing this season, then obviously that would be a caveat. This season is a season where the Cavs could plateau a little bit and look a little more human than they did last year. And so there could be some question marks that come up with his coaching style and his implementation of his offense and his defense. That just comes with a job. I think he'll handle it well. But I will say that it's not a make-or-break year for JB, especially since he also, I believe, is signed until 2027. So he has a few more years to really prove himself with the Cavs. All good points. JB has been a coach in this league since 2004, so he's coming up on his 19th season in this league. And he's been an assistant coach or an assistant head coach longer. That's a bigger part of his career than head coach. He got a stab in Houston in 15-16. That was his first shot, and he went 37-34 and with that team. In 17-18, he had another chance with Memphis, where he went 15-48. and And the following season, he got another stab at it, 33-49. Uh, and, and with the Cavs, his record has been steadily getting better. So 5-6 and six in his first year in 1920, 22-50 in 2021, and 44-38 in 21 22 so he just achieved his best winning record as a head coach in his career and it was on a team that as you've stated and i've stated and we will continue to state riddled with injury therefore the entire season they had a lot of challenges with their rotations i could see it being attached to the fact that fatigue is always set in on a team that some nights have had to play six to eight guys that's all they've had and that's when it's really just the end of the bench JB's always been far more resourceful, I think. It's just sometimes he falls in love with certain matchups with certain guys, like all coaches do, and he doesn't necessarily rotate guys out as quickly as he should or call timeouts as quickly as he should, force a foul, or certain strategic things like that. From a fan's perspective, that's what I often see as a negative. So coming into this next year, I agree with you. It's possible that they could plateau. I don't really see why, though. And that's because they're not coming out of a year where everything went right, and they went 
into the playoffs and kind of shook the cages of the league. They really underperformed in the latter half, and yet the record still was a positive one. I think that they have a chance to, if they stay healthy, to finally gel as a team, as constituted, as envisioned by Altman, and we'll talk about that soon. I think Bickerstaff has complete control of this team on the floor, and if they would just be healthy, I think that we'll see the full control of that, or the full power of that control. And I really don't think that they're going to have a drop-off the year this coming year. I think that it's not a make-or-break season for him because, as you said, he's got a long tenure left on his contract, and he would really have to do something that would make you know, a mutiny happen on the team for him to lose his position at this point. But I think he's shown that Altman and, and he have the right thoughts about what this team is supposed to be moving forward, and we should just be excited to see that in its full fruition. So, JB can have some creative wrinkles in his lineups, notably the use of three seven-footers. Do you think he'll do something similar next season? I think that he could still keep the seven-footer lineup for sure. I do think that he's always going to look for wrinkles in the Cavs lineup to figure out how to get an advantage. You know, you talked about his rotations. He might even be forced to do something if the injury bug does come back. The main thing I could see that he could utilize more is later in the season. If Rubio comes back, I could see that if he's fully healthy, that the Cavs go to more of a three-guard lineup at times, depending on the matchup, especially with how Darius is playing. If Darius jumps another level into a top 10, top 8 type of point guard, and you want to pair him with a creative player like Rubio, and then you either have Colin or Neto be that third guard, I could definitely see a lineup like that because that would utilize a lot of creative looks, a lot of speed, and a lot of vision on the floor. And you could still keep Allen and Mobley on the court as well, who are the best all-around defenders for this team who can still block shots and guard the other team's best player if need be. That would be my creative guess. Do you have a lineup or an idea that he could utilize? Well, it's contingent on one player, as usual, Colin Sexton, coming back to this team. I'm curious what we'll do with him. Will he be able to almost be a starting player that rotates off the bench? So, yes, a sixth man, but somebody that really, when you look at his minutes, he's just a few shy of being a starter every night. Because of what they possibly could have by drafting two all-star caliber players in Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, it's exciting to think about how they both could be running the offense when the other is off of the court. So you're you're thinking more of if Colin comes back, how JB could creatively unlock Colin even more. Yeah, almost have two two starting lineups that he just kind of rotates in and out because that's the kind of, that's the depth that we have on this team. There's several players that could easily be in a starting five somewhere else in the league. So I always say, treat it like a hockey game. Have these guys rotate out more in sets of where they play, you know, combinations of being together. I mean, they do that anyway, but just having it be where there's less of a drop off between your starting five and then the next rotation in of five and again we'll we'll say it till the cows come home as a fan that would be very fun to see because i think that 
it's going to be noticeable that JB has a lot of depth on this team and he has to utilize that depth. If Colin is kind of the leader of that second unit and is able to unlock five more players, you know, four more with him on some level, that's almost a starting caliber bench. I think that could be really fun and interesting. And it would maybe help make sure that everybody feels appreciated and is getting enough playing time on the bench. Because that's going to happen no matter what. I think that JB, as you pointed out, has a a good handle on the egos for the team, but he's never had this amount of depth. Having two distinctly talented and somewhat uniquely different athletic point guards on your team that don't have to be out there at the same time together, but will still average 35 minutes a night and be running the offense when the other one's not out there, like I mentioned, you could run up the score on teams Mm -hmm. just easily. Mm -hmm. Because you'd never really have a moment where, as a team, you're taking a break. Not as a team. That could be very fun. Do it, JB. Altman has been with the Cavs' front office since 2012 and became the GM in 2017. What do you attribute to his longevity? Just going on to basketballreference.com and taking a look at the moves that he has made as an executive starting June 19th of 2017 to the present, the list of players here that he has been a part of bringing in, Jose Calderon, Jeff Green, Kyle Korver, Jetty Osmond, Derek Rose, you've got Kendrick Perkins, Dwayne Wade, Larry Nance Jr., the draft picks that he's gotten when Sexton, Okoro, Garland, Mobley. It's how he's assembled this team throughout the years. It's the players that he's identified and said, yes, they need to be in a Cavs jersey. To me, that has been the biggest reason why he's kept his job and why, as a fan, I've wanted him to. And now they've moved him into the president of basketball operations. He's still going to be overseeing the GM side of things, I'm sure of it. We really lucked out. A, a young man brought up through the system, again, has the right mind for this game. And his record proves that he deserves to be where he's at. If the Cavs let him go, no doubt in my mind, he wouldn't be scooped up immediately by another organization. Just like several other former GMs that we've had were picked up immediately. We've always done a decent job on this side of of the ball, but he did something that the the other GMs didn't do. And that's he built this team through the draft solidly. It wasn't just, oh, did you pick a good first round guy or a top 10 guy? It was, oh, you picked great guys in the middle of the draft and at the end of the draft, either round. So because he made an exception there, I think he proved himself to be worthy of an extension where those other guys didn't get it. I think those are all really great points. I also think that for whatever reason, he and Dan Gilbert clearly get along, or at least Gilbert respects what Altman has done so far. You brought up a ton of transactions. I would also note that not only has he really been the first executive for this team to build a core through the draft, he's the first person to transition from a LeBron era into this young core of a team successfully because i will say that even though maybe it's a little soon to do this i would say that right now the Cavs are a success in my eyes and i think that kobe clearly has managed all the egos especially everything that was and is lebron and dealt with everything with you know 
his ecosystem there and was able to transition to Colin Sexton. Signed Kevin Love. You and I have been hit or miss on that decision, but ultimately what it did was it showed that the Cavs were acting a little bit differently than than the first time LeBron left, which was they got rid of everybody. When they signed Love, there were a lot of folks who questioned it because of his injury history, but there are also some positives out there that showed, oh, you're going to still keep a talented player on your team, unlike when LeBron left for Miami and we started just getting rid of pieces. So I think Altman clearly has managed a lot of the ins and outs, the politics, the egos of everything that happens in an organization like this. And he's been able to do it while building talent, which is the most important part, and communication with JB. Is there anything that Altman could have done in the offseason for this season to land a more prominent player in your mind? Broken record. Colin Sexton. That's it. He's already on your team. You drafted him. You've invested in him. You believe in him. The team counts him as a leader. He has to get that done. And, you know, I read an article the other day saying that the Cavs are saying, well, no, no disrespect, no disrespect. We're not trying to say you're not worth this. It's just we don't want to go over the luxury cap. Because of that, we can't pay him more than $13 million. I think that's a cop-out. He's been on the team for a while. They've been trying to negotiate with him for a while. Yes, they offered him around $20 million a year because there was a floated thing that they offered him around $80 million in total for a contract that was around four years long. So, yeah, at one point he was going to get what he wants now. And I don't think that they've negotiated great. But this question is about what Altman could have done. And I just think from his side on the 50-50 scale, he needed to get this completed. And the fact that it could send the wrong message to the players in the organization, because I think Sexton is a beloved guy by those guys. I think they want to see him come back and all of the business get out of the way. So that's his job, to make sure that the core and the, the possibilities of what they've brought together are still viable. And I really hope he gets something done. I hope that we're not just floating around wondering until October what's going on. And they're not going to go over the luxury cap. So at this point, Sexton would have to take the 13.4 or whatever million, and he's not going to do that. So right now we just have to hope that he takes that minimum 7.2 million and he comes back for one season and then we'll just see how it ends up. And I think that that is a really good point. I would also say that something that Altman really hasn't had to do yet is move some players to keep a current player. And we've talked about it in the past. He would probably have to unload Jetty and or Dylan Windler to give Sexton a little bit more cash to prove to this guy who was your first major draft selection that he's worth a little bit more. So it is interesting to see how Altman will handle that. To look at the, the the question again, there aren't really any major players out there that I saw in the offseason who it would have been cool if the Cavs were able to nab that person or trade for them or whatever. There were some intriguing wing players, but again, we drafted Ochai, so I'm not really I'm not really here to look at 
veterans who are solid wing players and then we unload a major contract for them when they haven't really contributed to this young Cavs core in any way. So I kind of think you hit the nail on the head with pointing out how Sexton is this one element, this one intriguing dilemma that Kobe hasn't dealt with yet. So we'll see how he does. I think hopefully they are able to figure something out for at least a two-year contract where there's a player option involved. And Colin feels like he's getting what he's earned and due, and the organization can be happy that they've met some type of agreement with him. The final seconds. What grade would you give Bickerstaff's tenure as Cavs coach? His complete tenure, I would give it a B plus or an A. I think that he is a coach that was hired on to be an assistant coach to John Beeline, who was made head coach. So JB had to watch a guy who should not have ever been there because he came from the college game and couldn't even get the pro game lingo correct. So he had to watch Beeline kind of have his job for a while. JB handled that very gracefully and has improved the team and the young core every year. He has really shown that he has a beat and a pulse for this team, this young squad and knows how to make sure that they perform at a high level. And they've won in a lot of sloppy ways. They've won in a lot of crisp, clean ways. And he is just able to help fulfill a lot of Altman's vision on the floor. Yes, I think that you have to give him a solid A because expectations for the Cavaliers should be what he's achieved, if not less. I mean, expectations should have been that they maybe have another two years of working it out. But in about two and a half seasons, they've gone from a team that looked like one of the worst in the league to being fairly competitive two seasons ago. And then this season having a 22 game win increase on their record, big turnaround there. And really we know that they would have won even more games if they hadn't had some of their, their stars go down. I think the turnaround that he's oversaw is remarkable. He should be considered in the running for coaching awards and especially for what he's done. And so an A up to this point is more than warranted. Who is Altman's best draft selection? I want to start by saying that this is another example of why he deserved an extension. And this is a hard question to answer because he's drafted three or four guys that I'm going to be excited about for the rest of their careers. I hope they're always a Cavalier. I'm going to say Darius Garland. And it's mostly because Garland fulfilled the mission statement. He achieved what Altman saw in him. He struggled in his first season. His sophomore season had some issues too. But he's really grown into the player that they believed he could be. And he got that contract over the, the rookie contract. He, he extended it past. He now has the big contract. He's one of the main players on this team for the foreseeable future. So if this was 2K, you know, that's a milestone he's achieved in a player career. And so I would say simply because of the adversity, the things that he's had to overcome since joining the team and the ways that he's improved along his journey, 
I'd say Darius Garland. How about you? Well, I'm going to take the easy answer and go with Evan Mobley. I think that Mobley is a once in a lifetime talent. I know that he was just there because the other two or three guys who were considered just as high were already selected. But Mobley is a turning point for this organization and drafting him might go down as Altman's best move ever as an executive. Because I truly believe that Mobley is a once in a generational talent. And if all is said and done, it could go down as you have LeBron as the best Cav ever and Mobley as the second best Cav ever. No pressure. Which person is more responsible for the Cavs' recent success, Bickerstaff or Altman? My selection is Kobe. The main reason why I'm selecting Kobe is I alluded to it earlier, the whole Andre Drummond issue a couple seasons ago. But the season that they were trying to figure out if they were going to extend Drummond, what did Kobe do? He ended up trading for Jared Allen. And Allen has been a linchpin on this team. He has been a defensive stopper. He has been a veteran presence. He's been a player who is young enough to grow with this core, but established enough to show the rest of this team how to play basketball in the NBA. So I would go with Kobe right now. Yeah, I think you have to hand it to Kobe because he's the person that has assembled this team. And yes, they've had a lot of conversation. You can tell that they're hand in hand with the mission statement, with the vision of this team. But Altman is the mastermind. So very easy answer on my part. I agree. Kobe Altman. Who will be under the most pressure next season, Kobe or JB? I don't think either one are really going to feel much pressure at all. But just to answer the question, I would say most likely JB. Simply because, as we stated in the last question, this is Kobe's vision. This is Kobe's team. And if Bickerstaff can't execute the team as he sees, then Bickerstaff is going to be the first casualty before Altman is, especially now that Altman has been moved into the president of basketball operations. So there's an even further kind of extension between the court and him and what would happen to him, you know, if the team starts to do poorly. So I would say JB based on those parameters. How about you? I agree with that as well. This is fairly easy to look at in the sense that the coach is the person that everybody sees every day, is the person that everybody talks to in the media every day. So there is definitely a lot of pressure put on the head coach of an NBA team. And depending on how the team handles their early record or how they come out of the gate, the pressure will be on Bickerstaff to either improve or kind of keep that success going and I totally agree with you Altman is the mastermind of this organization and JB has to execute this plan and so he could definitely be the first person to to go out of the two of them if the Cavs don't have as much success as we think they should but I would say I think that they'll have a pretty successful season next year so I'm hopeful that these guys are around for the next three or five years. 
Thank you for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club podcast. Let's go Cavs.